November 17th, reading number one, an introduction to this manual. From the beginning, two things have been the necessary form and mystery of Christian spirituality. Two things, even before the closing events of resurrection, ascension, and commission, wove desperate and often renegade believers into a spirited body of the whole connected to God and each other. Like a double helix rendered elegant by complexity and splendid by authority, the amalgam of gospel and shared meal and the disciple of fixed for prayer were and have remained the chain of gold-connected trying <clears throat> Christian to Christ and Christian to Christian across history, across geography, and across idiosyncrasies of faith. The former is known as the food and sustenance of the church, the latter as its work. The Divine Hours is about the second part of this double strand, the work. It is the manual it is a manual for the contemporary exercise of fixed hour prayer. Although designed primarily for private use by individuals or by small groups, the Divine Hours may certainly be employed by larger or more public communities. Likewise, through design primarily for lay use, it can be well employed by the ordained in either private or corporate prayer. Those already familiar with fixed for prayer, variously referred to as the liturgy of the hours or keeping the hours or saying the offices, and with its tools, the breveries of monastic worship and the book of hours manuals for laity that date from medieval times will find some modifications and innovations here they may wish to scan what follows for a explication of those changes others explicit especially those for whom keeping the hours is a new practice may wish to read the remainder of this introduction more thoroughly A Brief History of Fixed-Hour Prayer The Age of the Apostles Fixed-Hour Prayer, while it is the Eucharist of the oldest surviving... Fixed-Hour Prayer, while it is with the Eucharist, the oldest surviving form of Christian spirituality, actually had its origins in the Judaism of of which Christianity came. Centuries before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the Hebrew psalmist wrote that seven times a day do I praise you, Psalm 119, 164. Although scholars do not agree on the hours of early Judaism set prayers, they were probably adjusted and readjusted many times. We do know that by the first century AD, the ritual of daily prayer had assumed two characteristics that would travel down the millennial to us. The prayers have been set or fixed into something very close to their present day schedule, and they had begun to assume something very close to their present day intention. By the beginning of the common era, Judaism and its inheritance, already thoroughly accustomed to fixed hour for prayer, were scattered across the Roman Empire. 
It was an empire whose efficiency and commerce depended in no small part upon the orderly and organized conduct of each business day. In the cities of the empire, the forum bell rang the beginning of the day at six o'clock each morning, prime or first hour, noted the day's progress by striking again at the ninth hour or the third hour, sounded the lunch break at noon or the sixth hour, called citizens back to work by striking the three at three o'clock, none are at the nine hour, and closed the day's markets by sounding again at six o'clock in the afternoon, vespers or evening hour. <clears throat> Every part of the day of daily life within Roman culture eventually came to some greater or lesser extent to be ordered by the ringing of the forum bells, including Jewish prayer by natural extension Christian prayer as well. The first detailed miracle of the apostolic church, the healing of the lame man on the temple steps by St. Peter and John, Acts 3.1, occurred when and where it did because two devout Jews who did not yet know they were Christian as such were on their way to, to the ninth hour or three o'clock prayer. Not many years later, one of the great defining moments of Christianity, St. Peter's vision of the descending sheet filled with both clean and unclean animals, was to occur at noon on a rooftop because he had gone there to observe the sixth hour prayer. The directive Peter received during his noon devotion, i.e. to accept all God had created as clean, was pivotal because it became the basis for basis of the ecumenicism that rapidly thereafter expanded church fellowship beyond Jewry. Peter was on the roof, however, not by some accident of having been in that spot when the noon bell caught him, but by his own intention. In Joppa and far from Jerusalem in the temple, Peter had sought out the solitude of his host's rooftop as a substitute site for keeping the appointed time of prayer. Such readiness to accommodate circumstance was to become a characteristic of fixed-hour prayer. So, too, were some of the words Peter must have used. We know, for instance, that it's very that from its very earliest days, the Christian community incorporated the Psalms in their prayers, Acts 4, 23 through 30. And the, and the Psalter was or has remained as a living core of the daily offices ever since. Likewise, by 60 AD, the author of the first known manual of Christian practice was teaching the inclusion of the Lord's Prayer in at least three times a day, a usage that was to expand quickly to include all the offices. From the Apostles to the Early Fathers as Christianity grew, and thanks to Peter's rooftop vision as it spread, so too did the practice of formalized daily prayer, the process by which the fixed-hour prayers of the first century, century slowly recast themselves as the divine hours or daily offices of later Christians and blur, 
is blurred in some of its particulars, though we can attest to the approximate date and agency of many of them. We know from their writings that by 2nd and 3rd centuries, the great fathers of the church, Clement, around 150 to 215 A.D., Origen, around 185 to 254 A.D., Tertullian, around 160 to 225 A.D., etc., assumed as normative the observance of prayer in the morning and at night, as well as so-called little hours of terrace sect and nun, or modern parallels, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. These daily prayers were often said or observed alone, through, though they can be offered by families in, or in small groups. Regardless of whether or not the fixed-hour prayers were said alone or in community, however, they were never individualistic in nature. <clears throat> Rather, they employed the time-honored and time-polished prayers and recitations of the faith. Every Christian was to observe the prayers. None was empowered to create them. Within the 3rd century, the Desert Fathers and the earliest monastics of the church began to pursue the universal Christian desert of living out St. Paul's admonition to prayer without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. To accomplish this, they devised the stratagem with their communities of having one group of monks pass the praying of an office on seamlessly to another group of monks waiting to commence the next office. The result was introduction into Christian thinking of the concept of a continuous cascade of prayer before the throne of God. That concept was to remain into our own time as a realized grace for many, many Christians, both monastic and lay. Christians today, wherever they practice the discipline of fixed-hour prayer, frequently find themselves filled with a conscious awareness that they are handling their worship they are handing their worship as its final amen onto other Christians in the next time zone. Like relay runners passing a light torch, those who do the work of fixed hour prayer do create thereby a continuous cascade of praise before the throne of God. To participate in such a regimen with such an awareness is to pray as did the Desert Fathers, from within the spiritual community of shared text, as well as within the company of innumerable other Christians, unseen but present, who have preceded one across time or who in time will follow one. From St. Benedict to the Middle Ages Once the notion of broken and uninterrupted prayer had entered monastic practice, so too, almost by default, did much longer prayers enter there. Yet for all their lengthiness or and growing complexity and cumbersomeness, the monks' fixed-hour prayers became normative for the religious in both the eastern and western branches of the church. By the 4th century, 
the principal characteristics of daily office as we know them today were plainly in place and their origination organization would be more or less recognizable as such to us today. Meanwhile, for secular, i.e. non-monastic clergy, and for the laity, the prayers appointed for the fixed hours were of necessity much, much shorter, often confined to something not unlike a brief minute of present-day observance. There were also many public churches or ballisticas that, despite their uncloistered nature, were pastored by monastic orders, and in these was some almost inevitable blending of the two forms, i.e. of the cumbersome monastic and the far-removed economic lay practices. St. Benedict, for example, fashioned his famous rule after the office as they were observed by monastics in the open basilicas of Rome. It was, of course, St. Benedict whose ordering of the prayers was to become a kind of master template against which all subsequent observance and structuring of the divine hours was to be tested. It was also Benedict who first said, To pray is to work, and to work is to pray. In so doing, he gave form to another of the great <clears throat> informing concepts of Christian spirituality, the inseparability of spiritual life from physical life. He also formalized the concept of divine work. Office as a word comes into modern usage from the Latin word opus or work. For most English speakers, it immediately con connotes a place rather than an activity. Yet those same speakers quite as naturally refer to a, to professional functions, political ones, for example, as offices, as in he is running for office. Most of them readily refer to voluntarily giving up the product of work as offering or an offering. And those who govern or regulate work are routinely referred to as officers of a corporation or a civic unit. Thus, in an earlier time that was much closer than we to the original possibilities of opus, it was entirely fitting that office should become the denominator for the work of God. For Benedict, as for many before him and almost all after him, fixed our prayer what was and will always be opus dia the work of God, the offices. As for the hour on which striking the prayers are done, those belong to God and are, as a result, divine. And the work is real, as fixed in its understanding of itself as in its timing. Prayer is a very form as any other human activity. The liturgy of hours, or the divine offices, is but one of these forms, yet is the only one consistently referred to as the work of God. The divine hours are prayers of praise offered as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and faith to God as a sweet-smelling incense of the human soul before the throne of God. 
to offer them is to serve before that throne as part of the priesthood of all believers. It is to assume the office of attendant upon the divine. While the words and ordering of the prayers of the divine hour have changed and change again over the centuries, that purpose and the characterization have remained constant. Other prayers may be petitionary or intercessory or valedictory or any number of other things, but the liturgy of the hours remains an act of offering, offering by the censure of the Creator. The fact that the creature grows strong as his or her faith more sweeney and effectious as a result of keeping the hours is byproduct, albeit a desirable one, of the practice and not its purpose. From the Middle Ages to us, as the keeping of the hours grew in importance to become the organizational principles of both Christian spirituality and the Christian day, so too did did the elaboration of the offices. By the 11th century, saying an office required a veritable stack of offices, of books, a psalter from which to sing the psalms, appointed for that day, hour, a lectionary from which to ascertain the appointed scripture reading, a sacred text from which to read the scripture thus discovered, a hymnal for singing, etc. As the growth of small communities took the laity away from the great cathedral centers where such tools in their ordering were available, it also created a need for some kind of unification of all the pieces, parts, into the a more manageable and more portable form. The result was a creation of a set of mnemonics, a kind of master list or Latin bravium of how the fixed hour prayers were to be observed and texts to be used. From the less cumbersome listing of the bravarium, it was short leap to incorporate into a book at least the first few words and sometimes the whole of all of the text required by the listing. This the officiants of the papal chapel did in the 12th century and the modern brevity was born. Breveries or manuals of prayer for keeping the daily offices have varied over the subsequent centuries from order to order, from church to church, and from communion to communion within Christianity. So too has the ordering and number of the offices to be observed, and even, in some cases, the setting of the appointed hours themselves. The Anglican Communion, for example, as one of the first acts of defiance in the time of the Reformation, created a new prayer book to govern the thinking and the practice of Christians in the new Church of England. The manual was given the intentionality populist name of the Book of Common Prayer, more often referred to affectionately today as the BCP. 
The manual has gone through many updates and revisions that have adjusted its language and even its theology to changing times and sensibilities. Despite those changes, however, perhaps as a result of them, the BCP still orders, through one edition or another, the spiritual and religious lives of millions of Christians, many of them not Anglican by profession, and all save a few of them certainly not English. <clears throat> as one of its more reforming am amendments, the first of subsequent editions of the BCP reduced or collapsed the daily offices into only two obligatory obser observances, morning prayer and evening song. Almost 450 years later, in 1979, the U.S., or Episcopal Church, bowed to the centuries in the yearning of many remembering hearts by restoring the noon office to its rightful place in the American BCP. In doing so, the Episcopal Church in the United States also acted within another abiding consist consistency of the fixed-hour prayer, the enduring sense that so-called little hours of terrorist sects and none, even when collapsed into noon time observance are an integral are as integral as our morning and evening prayers to the offices and to daily Christian practice, be it private or public. Episcopal practice was not the first to undergo restructuring in the closing years of the twelfth century. In nineteen seventy one, in accord with the derivatives of the second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI issued the Liturgy of the Hours, which modified the offices to an ordering very similar to the one in the American BCP, would assume eight years later. Four offices were now suggested to laity and required of monastics, secular clergy, and those under orders. A morning office called still by its Latin name of Louds, a noon office that allows the individual Christian to choose the hour of his or her workday, either terrace sect or none, in which to pray the office. As a result of the first choice, which was three possible texts, will be prayed. The early evening office of Vespers and before retiring, the simple consoling office of the complete complying. Under Paul the Sixth rubrics, there is also an obligatory office of readings that may be observed at any time of the believer's day that is most convenient. Despite all of the diversity that centuries of evolving doctrine have laid upon them, the divine hours have nonetheless remained absolute in their adherence to certain principles that have become their definition. The daily offices and the manuals that affect them are, as a result of that defining consistency dedicated to exercise of prayer as the work of God and the core of the offices, to the informing concept of a cascade prayer being lifted ceaselessly by Christians around the world, to the recognition for every observant of an exultant membership with other observance 
within the communion of saints across both time and space, to centrality of the Psalms as the informing text of all offices, a centrality made doubly intense by the fact that theirs are the words, rhythms, and understandings that Jesus of Nazareth himself used in his own devotions while on earth to the establishment in every breviary or manual of a fixed cycle that provides for the reading of at least some portion of all save three of the psalms in the Hebrew Christian Psalter. The present manual employs a six-week cycle in some portion of every psalm. In the nece- to the necessity of fixed components like the Our Father, to the formal ordering of each office's conduct and the efficacy of the reputation of prayers, creeds, and sacred texts in spiritual growth and exercise. It is on these principles and within the scope of these purposes that the divine hours is built.